pray with me? Um, Father, you're our God and you have created us. You love us and you have good things in store for us, Lord. And this, this world is tough. You've told us that. But through your strength, we can make it. And God, uh, each of us this morning needs some different things. It feels so good to laugh together. Uh, maybe for some people, this was the first time they could laugh this morning, uh, being together with their church family. And then there's also the reality of there's some things in our life we have to deal with. Maybe we're affected by others or our own self or whatever it is, God, but you can meet those needs. And this morning, as we listen to Phil's message, we get to uh, see and hear and know and understand uh, what you're going to do for us through your spirit and your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Danny. We're in a series of sermons right now titled, Come and See What the Lord Has Done. Preaching that for a few weeks as we head towards our offering on October 6th. We're hoping that we'll see $100,000 given to the church to liquidate the debt on this building. We're doing more than hoping for that. We're praying that God does something really remarkable. And so we wanted to spend a few weeks leading up to that just looking at the remarkable things God has done. And that's where this sermon title came from, or series title came from. Come and see what the Lord has done. Well, last Sunday evening, I knew that the title for today's message was Come and See What the Lord Has Done Through the Holy Spirit. But I wasn't positive where I wanted to go with the message. So I started studying like I normally do on Sunday evenings. And then for the next day or two, I was chasing all kinds of different rabbits. Still not exactly sure where I wanted to see the message go. And that's exactly what it felt like. Like I was just chasing one rabbit this way and then another rabbit this way. And it was all over the page. And I found myself at one point kind of needing to distract my mind from it as I was sitting at my computer. And just about that time, my phone, which was laying right next to me, dinged with a Facebook notification. And a lot of times I don't pay any attention to those. Just move on. doesn't matter. Facebook's going to notify you about this, that, the other thing. I don't really care that much. But I decided, well, I'll, I'll just click on that and see what it is. Maybe somebody sent me a private message I need to read or something of great interest will pop up. And I am telling you, it's like God sent me a Facebook notification. So I clicked on it, and this is what I saw. This image was there. Now, this was posted from a friend of, of Tina and I's named Donna Rogers. We met her in Missouri. Today she lives in Tennessee. She was in Walmart when she saw this display of Lasco 20-inch box fans on a big sale as Walmart's trying to get rid of them for $112 a piece. Now, I went on Walmart.com to see what those normally sell for. Are you ready for this? $17.88. So they're hoping to clear out what's left here at the end of the season by running them on this big sale for $112. Now, that made me smile. But the best part about this whole post is what Donna wrote right above this. Take a look. This fan better blow the Holy Spirit through the whole house for that price. <laughs> Now, I'm chasing rabbits around the whole idea of the Holy Spirit when I saw this, and I thought, well, thank you, Lord. You just gave me the direction I needed. So my mind started racing like this. I wonder what it would be like to experience the blowing of the Holy Spirit through an entire house. I didn't let my mind rest there very long before I realized that there are 12 men that could actually tell us. 
Their names are Peter, James, John, Andrew, Thomas, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Simon, James, and Judas, the son of James, and then lastly a fellow named Matthias. Those are the original 12 apostles of the early church. They're not the original 12 apostles. That list would include Judas of Iscariot and it would omit Matthias' name. Matthias was chosen to replace Judas after he had killed himself. But the original 12 of the early church, they knew exactly what this was like. The Holy Spirit had blown through a house where they were at. After Jesus had ascended into heaven, he had told them that the Helper would come. The promised Holy Spirit would come and find them. They were gathered together in a house when that happened. Join me in Acts chapter 2. I'll show you exactly what it looked like. We're going to start in verse 1, and I want you to pay close attention to these first two verses. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. I don't know if those guys had gone to Walmart and picked up a box fan or just how this happened, but the Holy Spirit filled the entire house where they were sitting. Verse 3, And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia... Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mockingly said, They are filled with new wine. What an experience that had to have been. Prior to this moment, the only thing that those 12 men had known of the Holy Spirit was the Spirit of the Lord coming to rest on them for a brief period of time and then being lifted off of them. But now they were experiencing the indwelling, the filling of the Holy Spirit and it blew through the house like a wind. What a great, great moment. Now here's the greatest part about that. Every believer since then has experienced the same thing, the filling of the Holy Spirit. And those that have experienced it know exactly what it's like. Here's what I know of that. When the Lord is on the move and a person surrenders themselves to His leading, they will be filled with an excitement as well as challenges that only God can meet. And when that happens, when that happens, this truth becomes a reality in your life you will no longer be able to remain a spectator in the kingdom of God. You're going to want to be used. You're going to want to do something with what God is placing within you. When the Holy Spirit blows through you like a wind, you will have no choice but to become reactive and responsive 
to what he is doing. And what a great moment that is. And it lasts until you get to go see Jesus. And after that, well, that remains a secret for us. Now, some of us may hear that and say, I really want that. I really want to know how to experience it. And we'll get into that, answering that question. But before we do, you've got to know who the Holy Spirit is. So I was sitting at my computer going through my Bible, looking at a lot of different scripture that speaks of the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he does. He is the most often overlooked member of the Trinity, of the triune Godhead. We know God the Father and we know God the Son, but a number of New Testament believers skip right over God the Spirit. And what a shame that is. Because when we don't separate Him out, but when we spend concerted time looking at who He is and recognizing that He lives within us, boy, it's inspiring. And let me show you why I believe that. As I was compiling this list of characteristics and attributes of the Holy Spirit, I was actually writing them out in a narrative. And then I quickly realized that I had 20 points that had come right off the pages of my Bible. And then I broke it down into those 20 points with the scripture that followed. But it was written first and foremost as a narrative to describe who the Holy Spirit is. So I want you to hear it as it was written, but I want you to see it so that it will be very practical for you. So we're going to put it up on the screen. This is what I came up with. The Holy Spirit is God Himself in the person of His Spirit. He can be lied to, resisted, grieved, and blasphemed. He comforts us, guides and directs us, transforms us into the image of Christ, and empowers every believer. He appoints the leaders in the church, confirms God's Word with miraculous gifts, sanctifies our efforts, holds us together, fills us with praise. He communicates the Father's love to us, and fills us with joy. He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words and gives us the right words to say when we need them most. The Spirit provides courage in conflict and joy in affliction, and in Him we are sealed, kept, and secured by God till the end. That's the Holy Spirit. That's who He is, and that's just 20 of the attributes that define this often overlooked character of the triune Godhead. The Holy Spirit is this amazing gift from God given to us. There are a lot of people as believers in Christ that would say, I want that. I want those 20 things. I want those to be a part of my life. Well, here's the great secret for you. If you are a believer in Jesus, you have them. Every one of them. If you have your Bible still in front of you, let's go from the book of Acts. Keep your finger there because we're going to come back. But let's go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. The Apostle Paul writes these words. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now listen again. This is an imperative in Scripture. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Every believer in Jesus Christ has the Spirit living within them. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. Not just access to the Holy Spirit, but every believer has the Spirit. Here it is one more time. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
Now, once we understand that, we still have to push past some common misconceptions about the Holy Spirit. There are some people who believe and even teach that the Spirit comes and then goes. And when the Spirit comes and descends upon a person, there will be miraculous signs that the Spirit is there. And for a time, everyone will know it, and then the Spirit is gone. That's a misconception. There's also a group of people who believe that we are filled with the Spirit when we become a believer, when we are baptized into Christ, but it's as if we received the full measure of Him at that point, and then from that point on in our lives, His presence dissipates. So we have to ration out the use of the Holy Spirit. Huge misconception. Then there are other people that would say, I don't really want to study the Spirit. I don't really want to know the Spirit. I don't even really want to experience the Spirit because quite honestly, He scares me. I've heard other stories and I'm not sure what I would do if that happened to me. Therefore, I just want to study the Bible, have a nice little study with some other people, then close my Bible up and go on my way until I open my Bible up again to have another Bible study. I don't want to have anything to do with the Holy Spirit. I just want the truth of God's Word. Again, that's a misconception because you're missing out on so much. The indwelling, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our lives is this gift given to us by God. The experiences that come as a result and even the challenges are given to us by the Lord and we have the power to face each through the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we have to figure out what the truth is if there are all these other misconceptions that are floating around. Let me take you to the book of Ephesians and I'll show you what the Bible says about this. Keep your finger there in Acts chapter 2, but go to Ephesians 5 with me. We're going to start in verse 11. Again, the Apostle Paul writes these words, so listen close. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of the reverence for Christ. Now let's go back to verse 18. Take a look one more time. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now if you take that word filled out of that verse, you can circle it, you can highlight it, you can underline it, make it stand out. If you take that word out of that verse, then you're going to get great understanding just by studying that one word of how this works with us and the Holy Spirit. Some people would illustrate it like this. It's like taking a nozzle and placing it in your gas tank and filling up that tank. But that leads into that misconception that once you take the nozzle out and you start driving away, then the level of fuel in that tank begins to go down. So the spirit must go down and we have to come back and be filled back up. 
Or some people would illustrate it like this. You take a glass and you place it under a faucet and you fill it with water. But again, the same illustration works here. You take a drink or you set it on the counter and it evaporates or you pour it out. The water disappears and so you have to put it back under the faucet and fill it up. Well, that's not what this verse is teaching and that's not what that word teaches. In the original language, the word filled carries this type of a meaning. And when you see this, you're going to think that I failed ninth grade English. You are going to think I have lost my ever-loving mind. In fact, Terry Granger, who is upstairs right now running our projection ministry, Terry, when I came in this morning, thought that very thing. I was outside my ever-loving mind with this definition. Now, a lot of times the people that run our tech ministries, like up above running the projections or at our sound booths, they don't ever want to be noticed. That is a sign that they're doing their job and doing it well if nobody knows they're there. But Terry, this morning, said herself, you know what, just turn around and look at Terry. Terry is right. Just wave at her. There's Terry. Okay. Now... I'm sorry, not really, I don't want to lie, I'll have to deal with that later. When Terry was projecting this up there, she said, have you lost it? This doesn't make sense. It does. So follow me all the way through it. This is the meaning from the original languages. Filled means be being kept filled. Be being kept filled. Those who are in Christ will be being kept filled. The Spirit is always there. The Spirit permeates everything. Here's really one of the best ways to look at that. If you take a glass of water and drop two Alka-Seltzer pills into that water, as they fizz and foam and do their thing, they evaporate within the water and they permeate that entire glass. And every drink tastes like Alka-Seltzer from that point forward. That's the idea of be being kept filled. Everything in your life is permeated by the Holy Spirit. Every aspect of who you are is permeated by the Holy Spirit. So when we come to this idea of being filled with the Spirit, it means be being kept filled. Always. Always. That's just the truth of it. You are with the Spirit always. The Spirit is in you always. There isn't a measure given to you at this point and then it begins to dissipate and you have to find a way to get filled back up. The full measure of the Holy Spirit is in your life always. So be being kept filled with the Spirit. Making sure that you are always permeated with who He is. And then those 20 things that we listed and more will be a part of your life because you are be being kept filled. You are full of the Spirit. And the Lord is always there. The presence of the Holy Spirit is always there. I might offer to you, the Spirit is always blowing through your life like wind through a fan. And the Spirit is always moving, always doing different things. So people hear that and they think, that's, that's what I want. How do I get that? How do I get the Spirit and that measure of the Spirit where I can have Him and then be being kept filled with Him? Well, let's go back to Acts chapter 2 and I'll show you what the Bible says about that. Right after the Holy Spirit blew through that house, the twelve apostles that had been waiting for the gift of the Spirit were moved by Him. They were moved to do something, to get active. And they did. 
they went to the southern steps of the temple. Now, obviously, a crowd had already gathered where they were at, so they moved it outside, and they went to the southern steps of the temple, and a greater crowd gathered. And then Peter preached, and he preached like he had never preached before. Peter preached something that had to have terrified him down to his very toes. These words came out of him because the Spirit of God placed them within him. Listen to what happens. Verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Now let me stop there for just a second. There is no preacher anywhere that wants to deliver the message of the Lord and have people say, well, he must be drunk. That is, that's not taught in Bible college. Preach in such a way that people will believe you're intoxicated. That just doesn't happen. So Peter's trying to set everything straight and level the playing field right here. These men are not drunk, he goes on to say in verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now look at at what he is doing, the Spirit is doing. The Spirit has brought these people together and he has empowered Peter to preach. And listen to what happens next. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Move forward with me to verse 36. Peter goes on to say, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now there are at least five things that the Holy Spirit is doing around Peter. Peter is empowered because of the indwelling of the Spirit to bring this message. But look at what the Spirit is doing around him. This is really remarkable. He has drawn all of these people to the apostles so that they can hear this message. He has pushed them to want to learn more. He has convicted them of their sin. 
He has confirmed within them the message that Peter is bringing. And then he prompts them to be obedient to Jesus, to the Word of God in baptism. That's just five things the Holy Spirit is doing around the apostles. And then look at what Peter is doing as he is empowered by the Spirit. He's bringing the thunder. He's bringing this message. He is bringing something to them that they have never heard before. That's all the work of the Spirit. But He also answers the question for us, how do I get that? As they were prompted to want to know more, these people that had gathered there in Jerusalem at the steps of the temple said, what must we do to be saved? And Peter answered their question. Verse 38, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, he says. There's the answer. If you have worshipped with us very long at all, you have heard me talk about the five steps of salvation. Here they are one more time for you. You have to know who God is. The book of Romans tells us that in Romans chapter 1. And once you figure out who God is, and God reveals himself to us all the time in a myriad of different ways, you have to know who you are. And all you have to do is get to Romans chapter 3 to discover that. You are a sinner just like I am, and you have fallen short of the glory of God. So once you understand who God is and that you're a sinner, you're going to see that you are separated from God. And what fills this gap between us and the Lord is our sin. So that leads us then to figuring out step number 3, who is Jesus? Jesus is the one who closes that gap. He's the one that died for us, that made it possible for us to have fellowship with God. So once we know who God is and who we are and who Jesus is, that leaves us with the question that these folks ask on Pentecost. Well, then what do we do? We understand all of this. What do we do? And Peter says in verse 38, Repent of your sin and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I've been doing this long enough to hear people argue all kinds of different points. Does salvation happen when we know who God is, they'll ask? Do we receive the Holy Spirit when we understand who God is and who we are? Or does that happen when we know who Jesus is and we confess Him with our mouths? Does it happen at the moment that we repent of our sin, that we receive salvation in the gift of the Holy Spirit? Or does it happen in the waters of baptism? I've heard people break those arguments down to ask, does it happen between those things? Does it happen here, 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 or here? And I want to give you the answer to that question so that you could settle this once and for all. I would like to take credit for this answer. I can't. I stole this from Doyle Roth, man that I worked with in Missouri, and I have loved it ever since. Here's the answer to the question. Does salvation happen here, 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 here? Do we get the Holy Spirit here, 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 here? Where does it happen? Who cares? That's the answer. Who cares? And why should we split hairs and try to break that down? This is the whole package that is presented in the Bible. And that's how we receive the Holy Spirit. That's how we receive forgiveness for our sins. It's in the whole package that God laid out. When does it happen? Does not matter. What matters is that we are faithful to the entire Word of God. And that then allows God to be faithful to us with the entire Word of God. That's the way it works. So when all of that is together, then we are able to say that we have received forgiveness of our sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
It's the beautiful part of the teaching of baptism. And those are presented up here on these, or in these two different picture frames. That's the beautiful part of baptism and what it brings to our life. The whole picture, including us saying, Lord, I'm all in. I am all in. I want what you have to offer and I'm not hedging my bets. I'm all in. I want the whole package. And when we have that whole package, we have the Holy Spirit in us. Where that Holy Spirit came from or when He came, I don't even care. What I care is that He's there blowing through your life like a wind. And that wind changes everything. How do you get the Holy Spirit? By surrendering to the Lord. By accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and being faithful with all that the Bible has taught us. How do you get the Holy Spirit? Acts 2.38 Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, every one of you, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. It's that simple. That's how we get it. But then people will ask this question, and it's just as penetrating. How do I know that I am be being kept filled in the Spirit? There have to be visible signs of that. How can I rest easy in that knowledge knowing that I am always be being kept filled? Interestingly enough, and I don't think this will surprise you, the Bible answers that question too. Let's go back to the book of Ephesians one more time. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to pick up in verse 18. We've already read these words, but let's go through them again. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled, there's that word again, be being kept filled. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Three things. In the individual's life, there are three visible signs of the Holy Spirit. Three very physical, visible manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Number one, there is a song in your heart and it comes out of your lips. That's the first one. The first visible, physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit is found in music. And that's surprising to a lot of people, but you heard Paul just lay it out. Psalms and spiritual songs that come out of our hearts. That is a visible sign of be being kept filled with the Holy Spirit. If you were to go back through recorded time, and the Bible is the only record we have that takes us all the way back to the beginning, there is only one period, listen to me, only one period in recorded history where music is not a reflection of relationship with God. And that's in the Garden of Eden before the fall of man. In Genesis chapter 3, by the time we get three chapters into the Bible, there is no record of music. But by the time we get to chapter 4, music has come and it is an expression of God's gifts to mankind. And from there, music begins to define worship. Singing begins to define worship. Ray, can I get an amen from you on that? It defines worship. It defines being spirit-filled. And some of you are thinking, I really don't like that, Phil, because I can't sing. Yes, you can. You may just do it ugly. You can sing. The Bible never says, God never says, make a beautiful noise unto the Lord. The Bible says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I am the king of the ugly singers. 
I really am. Don't amen that. But there is a joyful noise in my heart that makes its way up. Friday night as I was leaving the church, there was a father-daughter sitting out in the parking lot. and I walked over to them. They put the window down. I asked what they were doing. They were just sitting out in the car listening to gospel music. Because music defines worship. Music becomes the first visible sign of the Holy Spirit. And that's hard for people to realize, but that's the way God put it together. Music matters. And sometimes you want to stand in worship and not sing because you're afraid of what people are going to think. Well, don't be afraid of what people are going to think. You be concerned about lifting your voice before the Lord. Sing ugly. It's okay. Sing ugly. Join me. It'll be all right. And when we get to heaven, of course the Lord's going to ask us to stand in the back and sing. But that's okay. We'll stand in the back and we'll sing. Here's the second visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. There is an air of thanksgiving no matter what. In the good and the bad. No matter what. It comes right out of Ephesians chapter 5. That allows us to say in the good times God is on the move and in the bad times God is on the move. I don't understand what He's doing in the good or the bad. I'm along for the ride. But God is on the move. And I am filled with experiences and even challenges that it may require God's power for me to get through, but God is on the move. So thank you, Lord, no matter what. That is a visible sign of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. So there is music, there is singing, and there's this spirit of thanksgiving. And then there's this third one, and this one is tough for people. And in fact, we might look at it and say, why does the Holy Spirit have to cause that? But Paul says it will lead to submission to others out of love. So that a natural order shows up. There is a submission to others out of love. Visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit. God wanted a natural order of things to exist, and so he gave us that idea. You might remember that when Jesus was cornered by the Pharisees and by the scribes, and they asked about the greatest commandment, he said, say it with me, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Submission to others out of love. Now, if you were continuing on in Ephesians chapter 5, here's what you would discover. The very first, listen, the very first relationship that God says, get this right in, is marriage. Before it can touch any other relationship, get this right in marriage. So he starts there, and then he begins to detail other relationships for us. But he says, you get it right there because this is the perfect description. Marriage is of what God wants for every other relationship. So get it right. Learn submission to one another out of love in that relationship, in that home, and then it will carry over everywhere else. Those are the three visible manifestations of the Holy Spirit in an individual's life. But what about a church? There has to be a visible manifestation of the Spirit in a church as well. And there is. Let me take you to the book of Acts, chapter 9, verse 31. This is speaking of the church in Jerusalem, the early church. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. Churches experience two manifestations, physical, visible manifestations of the Holy Spirit as well. The first is walking in the fear of the Lord. 
Which means the people that are in charge, the people that are entrusted with protecting those churches are paying attention to the Word of God. They are watching over the doctrine of the church. They're paying attention to the things that are happening and they're not wavering. They are not turning to the right or to the left. They are staying laser focused in the fear of the Lord to make sure that they honor God. I have had the heartbreaking opportunity to see churches that moved away from the fear of the Lord. You probably have too. I've seen them very personally and I have seen them as you have in the national spotlight. Churches, denominations that move away from the fear of the Lord by watering down the gospel to make it more palatable to those that are listening have left the fear of the Lord. People that have taken the emphatic teaching of the Bible and said, well, that applied during the times that the Bible were written, but not today, have lost sight of the fact that Hebrews says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we better remain in the fear of the Lord. When a church does that, God's blessing is removed. And we see churches in record numbers closing their doors today because they have lost sight of the fear of the Lord. And when they have lost sight of the fear of the Lord, God has said, you're on your own. So, the Apostle Paul, or actually it's not the Apostle Paul, it's Luke who writes in Acts chapter 9, he was writing about the Apostle Paul in that particular case. In, in Acts chapter 9, he says, the church that is walking in the fear of the Lord will experience that second visible manifestation. That is the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And that happens in all kinds of different ways. Let me give you just an example. Because the leaders of our church are walking in the fear of the Lord. I know those guys. They are on the right path and they stay laser focused. Our elders walk every day in the fear of the Lord. And that leads to the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And here's just one visible sign of that. Fourteen years ago when we moved into this building, we borrowed $1.2 million to move into it. People thought we were out of our ever-loving minds then too. They said there is no way in Libby, Montana that 200, just 200 people, actually 218, will be able to take care of a $1.2 million debt. So we took on a 30-year loan with a $1.2 million note against this building, even in the face of people telling us it was impossible, and we trusted the Lord. And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, on October 7th, we will pay this building off 16 years early. That is the comfort of the Holy Spirit. My friend Matt Scranick and I went into the bank this past week because he thought it was a good idea to let the president know our intentions. He just thought that was a good faith move, and, and it was, and I'm glad that he brought that up. And so the two of us went in and visited with the president of the bank, and, and he had called earlier and told him that we were coming, and the president said, well, I didn't know what you guys were up to, and so I pulled up your loan information on my computer and my word you guys have been paying this thing down I had no idea it was where it was at he said it doesn't pop up on my screen unless there's a problem and there's never been a problem here this is amazing well he believed that we were there to borrow more money <laughs> so we told him in just less than a month we were hoping to bring him a check for the remainder of the balance on this building and his eyes got real wide and he said well personally I'm really thrilled for you guys, but as a banker, I hate to hear this. <laughs> I said, well, I bet you do, because hundreds of thousands of dollars in interest is being saved. That's the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You can move into what appears to be impossible by earthly wisdom and experience the God possible 
when you are walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Individually and as a church, it is the fear of the Lord that causes leaders to say, we're going to take a risk and we're going to trust that the Holy Spirit is already ahead of us. Because remember back in Acts chapter 2, when Peter stood up to preach, the Holy Spirit was doing all this work around him to make it possible and 3,000 people were baptized into the Lord. We don't always have the privilege of seeing what the Spirit is doing around us, but in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, we can trust it and we can move forward. And then there's one other thing that happens in the lives of individuals and even churches that come as a direct result of that. And I'll share it with you as the worship team comes and we close this out. This comes from a preacher named Jim Simbola. He's the preacher of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. He tells his story and I looked at a lot of different ways to share it with you and the best way is just to let Jim tell it. Listen to this, will you? I wasn't expecting the Holy Spirit to join me for lunch. Yet that's exactly what happened. My wife, Carol, was out of town, so I went to a little cafe that I like on Long Island. I found a quiet table against the wall, ordered my usual salad, and while I was enjoying my healthy food, I caught up on some reading. I subscribed to the New York Times on my Kindle, and I'd already read through several stories when a headline caught my attention. Hate engulfs Christians in Pakistan. I was well into my salad by then, but I set my fork down as I read the article. The blistered black walls of the Hamid family's bedroom tell of an unspeakable crime. Seven family members died here on Saturday. Six of them burned to death by a mob that had broken into their house and shot the grandfather dead just because they were Christian. The family had huddled in the bedroom talking in whispers with their backs pressed against the door as the mob taunted them. They said, if you come out, we'll kill you, said Iklag Hamid, 22, who escaped. Among the dead were two children, Musa, age 6, and Umayyah, age 13. The article described a rampage by a crowd of 20,000 Muslims that lasted eight hours in Gajora, Pakistan, where Christians represent less than 5% of the population. In addition to the murdered members of the Hamid family, 20 Christians were wounded, and the mob burned and looted 100 Christian homes, in some cases also wiping out the family's livelihood. Why? The day before, Christians at a wedding party in a nearby village were accused of burning a Koran. Officials who looked into the accusation said the charges were false, but local religious leaders used the news to rally Muslims against the local Christian minority. The Hamids, a Christian family, weren't involved in any of that. They were just eating breakfast in their home as the mob gathered nearby. When the grandfather opened the door to see what all the noise was for, the crowd of Muslims rushed inside. The Hamids tried to take refuge in a back room as the mob entered their house and looted it before setting it on fire. He goes on to say that after that he went to the Brooklyn Tabernacles Tuesday night prayer meeting. And if you know anything about them, that for years and years and years they've had a Tuesday night prayer gathering that has somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,500 people that come and, and just pray. At some point in the meeting, Symbola says, I stood up. Something's heavy on my heart, I said to the church. I can't shake this and I want to share it with you. And then we're going to pray. I don't know what else to do. We're a long way from Pakistan and most of us will probably never go there, but listen to this. As I read the article, I could feel the congregation's pain at the thought of a mother and her child being burned to death because of their faith. Like me, they grieve for those Christians who lost family members, homes, and jobs. Let's pray right now, I said after finishing the article. God said in the day of trouble we should call upon Him and He would answer us. Let's stand and get into groups of three or four all across the building. 
The Bible also says that the Lord is the God of all comfort. Let's ask our Father to minister to those precious believers on the other side of the world. Immediately, fervent voices filled the building with sacred sound of men and women calling on the name of the Lord. I finished praying and moved back onto the platform. Please be seated, I said. As I paused, waiting for them to be seated, Craig, a leader in our church, rushed down the center aisle, waving his hands to get my attention. I switched off my mic so I could hear what he had to say. Pastor, there's a woman sitting in the back. She's from Pakistan. A woman from Pakistan in our downtown Brooklyn church on a Tuesday night? Send her up, I told Craig. Craig led her forward and in front of everyone with my mic still off, I chatted with the woman. Have you been here before, I asked her. No, it's my first time. Are you from Pakistan? Yes, my husband is a pastor there. My husband and my grandfather-in-law were among the first outside Christians to go into Gajora to bring help. What? Yes, they are there right now. I shared what she had said with the people in the church. There was an audible gasp and then the room filled with a sense of holy wonder and awe as people began to spontaneously thank God for this woman, her husband, and their ministry. I was in shock. The church was in shock. The woman was in shock. We had called out to God for some way to comfort and aid those involved in this catastrophe. And within minutes, we found out the Lord was ahead of us. He goes on to write about the effects of the Holy Spirit and then brings us back a few chapters later into this story. Remember the story of the Pakistani believers whose homes had been looted and burned and how the wife of the minister helping them showed up in our prayer service? Well, the story doesn't end there. The Spirit wasn't done with what he wanted to accomplish. Months later on a Saturday night, I got a call. The minister from Pakistan just called, he said. There's a problem now in his city. What's wrong, I asked. At the 5 o'clock Muslim call to prayer, something set them off. Now they're shouting, death to the Christians. Burn their houses down. Death to the Christians. He's really concerned. Okay, I'm going to pray tonight. You pray too, Steve. What else can we do? Let's just pray. So I prayed that night. Before each of our three services, I always meet with the prayer band. They're a group of committed believers who pray with me and then gather together in a room to intercede for the attendees in each service. Our first Sunday service started at 9 o'clock, and by the time I finished praying with the prayer band, the meeting had already started. I pushed the button for the elevator to go down to the sanctuary, and when it opened, Steve was in the elevator. He held his cell phone, and I could tell by the look on his face that something was wrong. He just called again. The situation's worse. He's up on the rooftop with his wife and children and some of the local Christians. There are thousands of people in the square chanting death to the Christians. I can hear the fear in his voice and the chanting mob in the background, so I know what he's saying is true. I felt as if I'd taken a punch and the air had been knocked out of me. I didn't know what to do. I got into the elevator and we headed down. As we walked into the sanctuary, the congregation was singing and praising God. And when the song ended, I interrupted and told the congregation, we're going to get back to worshiping God in a moment. But right now there's an emergency situation we have to pray about. I told the church what I knew. As I relayed the critical situation, my heart burst as I thought about parents and children hiding out on the roof from the crowd below. Then I broke down as I thought of what it would be like to be up there with my children and grandchildren. Overcome by emotion, I asked our worship leader to lead the church in prayer. Suddenly a chorus of cries went up to God on behalf of the Pakistani believers. It was just like what occurred in the book of Acts. They raised their voices together in prayer to God. Later, at the end of a long day, I spoke to Steve and asked what happened. You won't believe this, he said. The pastor called back. He's okay. I was thrilled the situation had been so dire. 
As they were on the rooftop, some clouds came out of nowhere. It got dark and started to rain, but not just rain, a torrential downpour. It rained so hard it dispersed the crowd. Everyone was safe, and they were able to get off the roof and return to their homes. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I couldn't wait to tell the church God rescued the man, his family, and the other local Christians through the prayers of his people half a world away. Didn't God promise that praying to him in faith would bring answers from heaven? The Holy Spirit was working in Pakistan, protecting those believers from the mob. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit was also moving among the people of our church, helping them to pray fervently and with a bold faith that only God could give. Holy disruptions. They come when we need them the most. But in between those times, you be being kept filled and let the Holy Spirit blow through your life. 